Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you very much for joining us here today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide and my co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. Good day to you. And great day to you, Christina. And greetings, everyone, and welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I am Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide along with Christina today as we each week search through the healthcare galaxy, searching for optimal health. And we're still searching, especially during this uh, holiday season. So we should, we should uh, tell people uh, some uh, what our future is for a moment. We have something planned as a treat for everyone with uh, each each of our episodes, uh, we always asked the person we were interviewing for a health tip. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're putting together the best of 2012. <laughs> all the 12, all the health tips for 2012. <laughs> health tips of 2012. And you know, I have to say, in going through them all, it was amazing some of the things that people spoke about. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and uh, so often the simplest ones are were magnificent because it was, you understood it immediately, right? <laughs> because you also got the chance to know about them a little bit throughout the beginning of the conversation and what they did and how they reacted and then uh, to come up with what they perceive as the health tip for other people. It's, it's really a nice compilation. Mm -hmm. We normally ask our guest for a health tip, uh, something that you found in your life uh, and on your journey that you could share with the rest of us. I'm guessing in your case, since you're such a specialist, you probably have an entire show of health tips. <laughs> <laughs> you want to share a health tip with us? Well, my health tip is uh, addressed to everybody. I suspect that the audience that listens to this broadcast, for the most part, doesn't need um, a uh, tip on diet and exercise. But here's something. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> here's something that I think everybody can can live with. Um, I'm, I'm a diabetic, so I had to change my diet, and it really made a difference. I, I should have done it long ago, but it really made a difference to my life, my sense of well-being even apart from treating the, the diabetes. And it's something that's very simple. Uh, there's two issues about conditioning and uh, weight. And those are important things in today's, uh, in today's health market. We live a long time. We can cure a lot of diseases, but if you're not eating and not exercising, all those uh, stents in your heart aren't going to make you live much longer. And, and the tip is pretty simple. One is the, qua the quantity of food you eat. Um, sort of like mindfulness and meditation. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness in eating is important. And here's a simple little tip. The quantity of food that anyone should eat in a day is the equivalent of roughly nine fistfuls of food. Mm. When you sit down and have a meal, look at your plate. And typically, it's two or three. And just make a mental note of that each time you eat or have a snack. And have you are you eating the right amount? Because if you do that, your satiation changes a while. And, and when you get up around seven or eight fistfuls, your mind is kind of adjusted to the fact that you're going to stop there. And that's a great diet tip. It, it works uh, on several people I've tried it on. It works great. As to what to eat, um, very complex field, with a lot of misinformation. And I'm not about to go through all the best things for you. Some of the best things for us, we don't eat even if we know we should eat. Mm -hmm. 
But here's a simple tip. Make half your plate at every meal a colored food. Now, I assume this isn't red dye number three. But <laughs> natural food. If you make a point of doing that, you have to force yourself to do it at first. But you're going to push off the plate some of the things that are not so good for you. And you're going to put on your plate almost every colored food is good for you. <laughs> That's color. I'm not quite sure why that is. But if you just remember that and push the stuff that's that's white and, and rice and, and potatoes and other things like that and make it colored, uh, you'll eat a much more healthful diet mm. with that. That is the simplest uh, tip I can give you for diet. Exercise is for conditioning, not for losing weight. People exercise to lose weight. If you do that, you will gain it back again. You will gain it back. That's a guarantee. You exercise for conditioning, and you eat a good diet for your weight. And keep that in mind. Don't go out and try and lose 15 pounds by running 20 miles. All you'll do is end up getting knee surgery earlier. <laughs> uh, the thing I like about this is that it's simple. It's not in great detail. And every time you sit down to eat or go to do some exercise, it applies. Well, that's that's the long-awaited tip <laughs> that I'm giving you. Wow. <laughs> There's one other thing that I think Glenn and I would know, especially Glenn knows from uh, years of experience in the ER, and that is things that we do when we're young have a profound impact on our quality of life when we're older. And it takes the wisdom of experience over many years um, in the emergency room and personally to realize that uh, running marathons sounds really healthy, uh, but the majority of people that run marathons have knee surgery at some time later in life. For a quality older life, you really have to think long and hard about the activities that you do that are going to wear down your joints. So those are the pounding exercises of, of running, those kind of things. Um, and um, preserve it. Pick activities that are not greatly stressful to your joints because they will give out eventually. And it's kind of a sad testament. People are so healthy in their in their youth and they end up uh, being immobilized by their degenerative disease later in life. I don't know if that tip is going to fall on deaf ears or not. Probably would have when I was 30 years old. But it really makes a difference to choose your activities uh, that are helpful and not destructive to your body. Mm -hmm. That's it. Those tips actually were exactly what you said. They were, they were brilliant in their simplicity and visualization, and, and clearly they're helpful. So I really appreciate that. Uh, I, they, they were great. I mean, in many of the areas that I work, exercise, nutrition, uh, stress management, and things like that, yes. uh, those were just great tips. Well, Robert, I, I have to tell you, I, I've been looking at my fist and I'm going, nine fistfuls? Well, I'd gain weight on that one. <laughs> I've got pretty big hands here, and I'm like... Wow, that's a lot of food. <laughs> By the way, this is uh, we're so grateful for you coming on. It's very rare that we get to talk to a hospital administrator, I think. We hear from all sorts of healers many times, but this is kind of rare. Do you have a health tip based on uh, your experiences and wisdom that you could share with us? Um. Well, you know, if uh, personally, I, I I think it's just moderation. <laughs> Everything, you know, I've always argued, not me, I've always dealt with weight. 
um, you know, ping pong ball, typical guy that goes up, goes down, you know, getting out of myself. Then I start losing weight. But, you know, volume in, uh, it's a volume control. You know, there's nothing that, that we, that is that harmful to us, I think, that, uh, as long as they're in small portions, you know, whether it's wine, whether it's, you know, hamburgers or, you know, fish, you just need everything in moderation. And I think that if you can do that and maintain your BMI at an acceptable range, you should be okay. Mm. So there you go. I like that. I heard <laughs> once that uh, you should take everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> so It's not a specific medical intervention, but I think um, enjoying yourself, enjoying life, um, getting appropriate rest, moderation in things, uh, and and having outside interests, um, I think leads to more happiness, uh, and I, I think it it's reflective in in health. Um, people that have good relationships um, often are more healthy. I mean, there's been all the studies showing that people that have pets or they they have a significant other as they get older and older, um, have better health and less health problems. So I think uh, looking at your life and uh, dealing with the stress that we all have and trying to deal with it in a positive way so it doesn't turn in on yourself and manifest itself with health problems, with blood pressure or heart problems or migraines or ulcers or some of these other things. I think that that's uh, the biggest thing that I found over time. And, and you know, as, as uh, one of my neighbors told me years ago, he goes, nobody outlives a lifetime. And, you know, that's the end result of our lives here. We are going to pass away. And, you know, you need to enjoy things. You know, we can't just put things off forever. Um, I see so many people that they work, 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 then they retire and then they have a heart attack, you know. And so you want to. You want to uh, um, enjoy things along the way, but in moderation, you know. In, you know, but the the old what is it? So stop and smell the roses. I think that's that's my word of advice here, or phrase of advice. Yes, eat colorfully. Try to have color on your plate, and try to sit while you eat, and make sure that you really savor your food because savoring your food and learning to cook, I think are as crucial as the clinic. I always ask my guests for some kind of a health tip and most of the people are physicians or healers. Uh, I wonder how a toxicologist would give a health tip. I, you know, if I had to give you one basic health tip, Glenn, I would consider probably the most important health tip, don't let yourself get fat. Don't be obese. If you see you're gaining weight, do something to lose that weight. Exercise. There are, if, if you want to talk about endocrine disruption, nothing can, nothing can disrupt the endocrine system more than obesity. And you know, up until last year, we were the most obese nation on the planet. Now, the, recently, the um, 
Pacific Islanders, uh, you know, like Bora Bora and uh, Hawaii and places like that have um, exceeded us, but we're still a very obese nation. Even in this state that I live in, Colorado, which is supposedly one of the healthiest states in the union, one out of every two people, one half of the people are too heavy. They have a body mass index that's too heavy. Avoid obesity. That is the best health tip that I can possibly give you. Well, uh, Glenn, I am going to ask you this question, which you ask all your guests, which is a tip for our audience. Oh, a health tip. A health tip. Absolutely. Well, your you turn. Know, You're on the stage now. It's your turn. Well, well, I, you know, I do actually have a health tip. Of course, I have many of them and, and stay healthy rather than trying to work your way mm -hmm. back to health. But I worked, you know, in some critical areas and colds are one of the worst things you can get. They're annoying. They get in the way. They never come at the right time. You never feel well and everything. And imagine I would have to stick that tongue blade down the throat of a three-year-old who would always, you know, they were sick with a fever, 103, and they had a cold or a flu and, and they would cough right in my face Ugh. all the time. And, and I rarely got colds. And there's a few things that I did. These may sound a little bit bizarre, but I learned them over the years. And I do this even, especially when I'm in airplanes or when, whenever I hear somebody cough, I immediately start exhaling and blowing the air away from me rather than bringing whatever air is near me. Mm -hmm. uh, and you remember, uh, few weeks ago with Dr. Wright, where he was talking about tuberculosis and somebody mm, yes. in an aisle. Well, when I, and if I hear that on an on a plane, I will start exhaling and, and blowing air away from me. So any of those little viruses floating in the world, uh, go in different directions. I will even go to the point where I will take the, uh, the air blower at the top above me and I will face it more toward where the cough was wherever it was coming from. So I was going to say, okay, well, you keep exhaling, but when do you inhale? <laughs> you have to inhale every once in a while. But the other part of it, that's the first part that I do. And I, and I try to wash my face um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. afterwards. But the, the one thing that I've found, and this is sort of in the area of the neti pot and yes. the those, most viruses that we inhale start out in the area that goes up into the nose and where the nose makes a curve, mm -hmm. the airway makes a curve down into the throat. And that's where they start to colonize. And when they get to a certain critical mass, you get sick. Mm -hmm. If there's only two of them, two little viruses there, you're not going to get sick. It's when they reach a critical mass and they start producing things that produce the mucus and the inflammatory processes and the fever processes, all of those happen. So what I do whenever I know that I've been exposed to something, be it in an airplane, be it in a bus, be it, uh, you know, around yeah. a lot of people at a party that night or my first chance I get when I get into a shower, I make sure that I inhale small amounts of the water from the shower to wash out that area. Mm -hmm. It's called naso or nose and pharyngeal or pharynx or throat. 
the nasopharyngeal area. So I inhale just a little bit of water, very lightly. I don't try and choke myself or swallow it, or I don't try and get it into my lungs. I'm just trying to wash out that area. And if I do that for a day or two, consciously, whenever I really think I've been exposed, uh, I've prevented so many illnesses for myself, including during flu seasons when everybody is sick. Mm -hmm. So that's my health tip, to be aware of what you might catch, try and stay away from people coughing. And then if you think you were exposed, uh, do that wash. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Anytime I travel, the first that what travels with me is my neti pot with the salt <laughs> and everything. <laughs> On and off planes I mean, are really busy events and conferences. I, I bring it with me. Thank you. <laughs> and there are even, uh, you know, when it gets to a level that I think just the water in the shower doesn't work, mm-hmm. then I go to either the neti pot or some of these other uh, devices. And there are even uh, some homeopathic remedies that aside from just the salt water or something else, mm-hmm. uh, there are some things depending on how uh, extensive I think the potential uh, virus colony might mm-hmm. be or how invasive they may be, then I go to higher levels of attack. It's just <laughs> like in martial arts again, you know, first you just try and not get hurt. And then try and stop something and then, you know, you have to disable or whatever. So you have to take it to a different level. If it's just a minimal exposure, maybe the water in the shower. But sometimes I bring in the big guns. The big guns. (laughs) Well, we're going to have to bring in people to talk about those big guns with you. (laughs) One of the things that I do when I feel myself becoming ill is I totally surrender. And the day after I was exposed to the young woman who had H1N1 influenza, I felt myself just this profound sense of fatigue uh, overcame me. And I knew immediately uh, what was going on. So I took one pill of Tamiflu, which is the antiviral we were using to treat H1N1 at that time. And I immediately went home and went to bed and slept for 14 hours and I woke up and I was absolutely fine and had no symptoms after that. So being aware and being willing to surrender, it allows my immune system to do what it can do best, which is heal me. If I continue to go to work, if I continue to use up energy doing other things that I don't really need to do, then it takes my immune system a much longer time to fight off whatever it is that I've been exposed to. The other thing that I I do when I find myself in stressful or difficult situations, I just stop and I just say a little prayer. And sometimes I just ask to uh, let me be. And that just allows whatever information, knowledge can come through me uh, so I can really be the best that I can be. It's really a matter of stopping and knowing and trusting that there is help available. Um, And it's just a matter of being willing to ask for it. I mean, I balance my world also with infectious disease. 
here um, as well as travel. Um, and um, I think my life uh, has told me over the years that, you know, uh, although we try to stay healthy, um, no matter how hard we try, there's going to be times when we're going to get sick. Um, and I think that's the hardest part for people um, is I always say that uh, to listen to their bodies and really sort of give in when they do get sick. Um, so often somebody uh, maybe made the diagnosis of mono or pneumonia or perhaps a foot infection that I know is going to take four to six weeks. And these patients will sit there and look at me with these kind of wide eyes and anxious look and say, oh, you don't understand, Dr. Sully. I just so cannot be sick right now. I just <laughs> I just can't be sick right now. Oh, I have a thesis due. I have a, uh, you know, a big presentation. I have a TV show maybe to do. Um, uh, I'm in the finals of the CIF volleyball tournament and I'm the star <laughs> player. Um, so I've heard a million excuses or a million reasons over the years. And I just kind of lean back and I kind of shake my head and I said, well, you know, in all my years, I said, I've never seen that that works. <laughs> I said, your body just doesn't take orders. <laughs> and so I really try to encourage people to uh, give into it, listen to their body, allow their body time. Um, I can certainly give them medication um, and that's part of the cure, but they really do need to rest and de-stress and really let the immune system do what it needs to do during those times of illness. So. Christina, are you listening? Um, <laughs> yes, She's but laughing. you know, I have this magical illusion. I think I'm a little bit of a magician here. <laughs> I, like, Lens, I don't I say that I cannot be right now. I say, I say to my body, you're allowed to be right now, but I just have to continue doing what I have to do. <laughs> a tip with headache is stay away from drugs. Like the example we heard, I mean, to get, I'll get back to my real tip, but the little tip I was thinking, you may, you may, I was mentioned that child with the, with the menstrual cycle migraine. Yes. The, the way to, again, as I said, the way to, is to treat it correctly, if it's only menstrual cycle, there are certain drugs you give that are actually quite harmless only at the time of menstrual cycle or one or two days before. So again, you have to treat these things smartly. And if they were slamming this, girl with drugs that's wrong they should have realized it's menstrual migraine and treated in a smart bomb way not just a sledgehammer way but that, gets, <laughs> that gets to my big tip is an incredibly common cause of headaches or headaches getting worse is what's called medication overuse headache and as simple as it sounds it was only discovered i think 20 years ago uh and it, it's so hard to convince patients. Well, half the patients accept it and half don't and go on and continue to have headaches. But in brief, if you have a headache disorder, primarily migraine, if you take a lot of medication, and it could be as benign as aspirin or Motrin, eventually the brain, like I said, rewiring the brain, the migraine parts of the brain have actually rewired themselves and they've acclimated to having aspirin, Motrin, or worse in the system. So if you don't take the pill, you get a withdrawal, and that causes this headache trigger to trigger another headache. So what do you do? you got a headache, you take another pill, which may or may not work, but when that wears off, it triggers another headache. So these patients wind up in a vicious cycle where the, basically the tail is now chasing the dog. This is incredibly common, and the pharmaceuticals don't want to hear about it because they want to keep selling their pills. And they don't want to tell you that if you have any kind of a significant headache, 
taking pills every day is a lose-lose situation because eventually you'll probably get into an analgesic rebound cycle and the, the, the noose gets tighter and tighter and I have patients who are taking 10, 15 over-the-counter pills a day and getting headaches every day. And you're trying to, you, some you can convince, but some you can't, that the reason they get a headache tomorrow is because they took 10 pills today. And to get them out of that vicious cycle can be very difficult because the first question you hear is, what do I do when I get my headache tomorrow? And I have to say, tough love. You have to accept the fact that for three or four days, you're going to have bad headaches. If you take a pill, you're taking a step backwards and you'll have a headache the next day. So just detox and accept for two or three days to be miserable. And about 90% of my patients who I can get them to accept that and do that will get better. They still have headaches, but it's not every few days. They go back to their basic migraine disorder pattern, which should not be more than one headache every two or three weeks. So that's the first way a person can help themselves. And number two, if you have a headache, don't start the vicious cycle because it takes years for the vicious cycle to start. Don't start taking a lot of uh, whatever you can buy in the pharmacy over the counter because there's a very good likelihood that, you can, yes, you're treating your headache, but over the years you'll wind up in this rebound cycle and taking more pills just makes it worse. Thank you for that tip. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, I have to tell you, I, I love hearing uh, a doctor say, back off the pills. I really love hearing that. <laughs> yeah, um, I personally um, suffer from, since a, a childhood illness, from actually from many bouts of bronchitis and asthma and basically just, uh, um, you know, my lung always has been a challenge. And so I've been working with this. And, you know, sometimes I need Western treatment when I have a really bad bronchitis or walking pneumonia. I need antibiotics. But also what really helps me is an ongoing practice of meditation. So when I get tight, which I often feel in my airways, I relax and I come to this present moment gateway to the everything. And I just feel my airways relaxing or I feel the debris that keep me from relaxing or have me kept agitated. And um, the other way that I also use in tandem is a dream work. Very often in our symptoms, there is a lot of information about um, about the illness and about what can help us. So I use that in tandem, you know, like in the moment, dream work or psychotherapy and an ongoing practice. And uh, that's what I can really recommend as an ongoing health tip. Have your ongoing practice, awareness practice, uh, where you come regularly into the healing of the present moment of mindfulness and then, um, as you need it, um, look at uh, the symptom in a more Western way via psychotherapy, via uh, dream work. Or recently, I'm working more with um, a program I developed, cultivating emotional balance through mindfulness. 
which helps us to develop an ongoing practice, but also with what I call an emotional awareness worksheet to look when we get triggered and see what emotions, sensations are triggered, what old stuff from the past gets triggered, what urges to fix it, and how that leads us often into reactive behavior. And to learn to bring awareness to that and through developing an individually customized mindful pause to learn to uh, have a different track towards a more, um, a greater perspective and a more aware and skillful way of dealing sometimes with tricky situations. In a few weeks, I'm going to be interviewing uh, a Dr. Michael Bordofsky who works in hospice. And I was wondering if you do any work with the dying, uh, dreaming with them, rather than trying to heal someone from a disease, people have gone through their life making it an easier transition or it's a, it's a very um, traumatic yes, state I've for worked, some of us. Uh, I've worked substantially with dying people. Um, I um, was working very much in the, in the AIDS epidemic in the 80s and the 90s in Boston. And um, so I worked substantially with, um, with dying people. And um, I, um, uh, I actually wrote a book about it. It's called Christopher's Dreams. Um, it uh, was formerly called Dreaming with an AIDS Patient. And um, it's a whole, uh, a whole report of how you can work with a person in the dying process where the dreams become uh, increasingly meaningful and um, the dreams become a vehicle in which a person can go and make the transition. So dreams as transitional um, transitional as transport systems mm. dreams as a transport system from one mm. reality to another from living to dying that is very valuable and should be studied much more and i've i've used it a lot mm. but we don't do that at the sanctuary the sanctuary is not for people who are actively dying sanctuaries for people who are very strongly in life and want to stay in life Mm -hmm. Right. Actively living. Actually, yes, very. Actively living. You know, each, uh, each week I ask my guests uh, if they have a specific tip for health and healing. And I wonder if you had some kind of a tip for us. Um, yes, I think that um, uh, if you um, just put... Uh, pad and a pencil next to your bed and um, write down even the silliest little dream and spend two minutes during the day, maybe when you go to the bathroom or something, to really remember that dream, it will already take effect in your life. It will already have a useful effect in your life. And you will not be able to immediately say, oh, why uh, something is changing or shifting. But after a while, it will get an effect on your life. We have, uh, and especially people who are in a situation that is challenging. Uh, there are reports that um, people who are going through a divorce, for instance, if they just um, focus on their dreams, write down their dreams and 
look over their dreams uh, uh, maybe once a day. They go through the trauma of divorce faster than um, mm -hmm. people who do not do that. So I think that just to pay attention to your dreaming and see it as um, a resource that you can just ponder. Uh, don't try to understand it. Just ponder about it in the way that you would a poem or the way you, you would a piece of art. Just pondering your dreams, I think, is going to be very useful, especially in challenging situations. So I was thinking about this and, um, you know, I thought it probably should be relevant, you know, health tip relevant to what we've been talking about here today. And I, I just want to share with you kind of one of the things that I've learned uh, over the years Everybody wants to wants to be um, comfortable at the end of their life and uh, avoid suffering and and have you know what what some people describe as as a good dignified peaceful death and um, and I think the um, the thing that you might assume about that is that it's dependent on you know what you die from and what disease you have and um, that you have you know enough morphine at your bedside is going to what going to ensure that, that that you're comfortable and that's actually how a lot of medical people come at come at that also but this has actually been looked at and and it turns out that um the amount of distress and suffering that people have at the end of their life is really highly correlated with how they lived their life um and not as highly correlated with what they're actually dying from and um so there there's there's things written about the lowering and the the, the lower correlation of, of suffering and distress at the end of their life in people who have um, what's termed healing connections. And so healing connections are, are sort of what my tip are, and I'll tell you what those are um, or how, they, how they've been defined. Um, but um, they basically talk about um, four broad categories of healing connections, and if somebody has a strong healing connection – in one of these four categories, they seem to have less distress at the end of their life. So the, the categories they refer to, probably the easiest one to understand is family. So mm -hmm. people who have a strong family connection, for reasons that we don't really understand, seem to have less distress and, and suffering at the, at the end of their life. Um, but it doesn't have to be a family connection. It can be any one of these. So um, another one is people who have um, uh connections, uh, a strong connection with the, um, the natural world. So people who have a sense of being part of nature or belonging in nature um, or just the beauty of nature um, seem to have um, less distress at the end of their lives. Um, another one is a, a sense of self, and that one's kind of harder to, to understand or define, but I, I sort of think of it as people who are comfortable with themselves, who are introspective, um, who've you know thought about their lives and and have some perspective on who they are um, uh, in in the universe seem to have more comfort at the end of their lives uh, as well. And then the the other one is of course uh, in the spiritual realm. So people who have a strong uh, sense of spirituality or connection with their spirituality doesn't necessarily mean people who are highly religious, but people who have a strong sense of spirituality seem to have less distress at the end of their lives. So those four healing connections, um, family, one's uh, connection with nature, connections with oneself, um, or spirituality, um, you know, whatever one of those things appeal to you as an individual, I, I think is, you know, part of our life work, we need to kind of foster those, um, those connections. 
and and really focus on that. If you want to have um, comfort at the end of your life and not be distressed at the end of your life, um, focusing on those, on making connections in the world, regardless of what area it's in, really seems to be uh, part of the secret. Mm. Wonderful. I think that's a fabulous health tip. Ah. <laughs> so go for one of the four, everyone. <laughs> yeah, and, and I actually, I, I saw that in the emergency department quite often when people, when certain people were dying and there was no other alternative to the process, no matter what we were going to do, but they were still somewhat alert and oriented and conscious. The ones that, that had one of those four things and spirituality seemed to be the easiest one to recognize in them, uh, they seem to be much more peaceful in the whole process, along with the families and loved ones around the uh, the bedside with them. Mm-hmm. So that's a fantastic uh, tip. And I have two tips then. You can have two tips because you're <laughs> so special for us. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the Western tip I would say would be spiritual practice, spiritual practice, spiritual practice. Mm. And the, the, the Sangoma equivalent would be we pray by singing and dancing, which means that if you're going to have a spiritual practice translated into your body, uh, it doesn't have to be singing and dancing. It can be Tai Chi. It can be yoga. It can be drumming. It can be dancing. But it has to be done for its own sake. It can be windsurfing. It can be surfing. But it mustn't be to perform or look good. And if you're going to yoga class to make an impression on the, the woman next to you, it's not going to work. It's an inner directed spiritual practice done for its own sake to balance you. And I think that's probably the best thing you can do for your health because there's a difference between healing and curing. Everybody can be healed. Not everybody can be cured. And at the end of the day, it's better to be healed than to be cured, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because that's much better for your karma. The, the Sangoma tip, I would say, I'll just paraphrase what my teacher said to me, P.H.M. Charlie, when I first met him. It was the first day I ever met him. He said, the trouble with you white people is you've lost the way. You have forgotten your ancestors. You are unprotected in life. Mm-hmm. You have no insurance policy. You are like papers blowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. Is that part of your spiritual practice, if, you know, and I'm talking about ancestors that you loved, Remembering, of course, ancestors is a, is a very broad term. Everybody is your ancestor. Uh, you know, uh, your ancestor or your spirit guide might have been your brother or mother or father or lover in a previous life. Uh, so that, you know, the Buddhists say you should look at everybody as if they were your mother and treat them with compassion because they might have been your mother. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of different ancestors from different lives, and the basic ingredient of the ancestor is they love you. And there's no time on the other side. So the fact that they may have been in Tibet, you know, 400 years ago doesn't make any difference. They're on that side there. They love you. They want to help you. So if you have a sense of having ancestors and you know who they are, or even if you had anybody that you loved, maybe a a teacher, a friend who's passed, a nanny, uh, a grandma, a grandpa, an uncle, an aunt, put their picture on a white cloth, make a little altar to your ancestors, uh, make little offerings every now and again, and ask to receive because because of free will, you cannot receive unless you ask. Uh, mm. Jesus said it best. You know, he said it, said the whole thing. You've got to ask to receive, and uh, it's it's a it's a it's a a practice of gratitude because if you get a good dream that helps you in your future career, don't think of it as hey, it's good. 
I'm going to listen to that. Go to your altar and thank your ancestors because more than likely they scripted that dream for you. And the more you talk to them, the more you ask them, the more you, you get into your dream time, uh, the more you have gratitude, the more it will grow. But you have to have trust because you won't see it. You know, you might see it in funny ways. You might see an animal that your grandmother loved that comes to you in a funny way or a hummingbird that's doing weird things. Uh, those are messages from the beyond to tell them that we count and that they love us uh, and they care for us and they're, th they're there to keep us in line with our destiny path so we mm. don't lose the way. So that's my tips, closing tips. Oh, what a beautiful tip. That's lovely. But then I have people go through this ritual and I've, I've done this myself with myself and of course my visualization is a lot deeper than what I do with many people because I have so many aspects of knowledge of anatomy and surgery and intravenous lines and everything. But I start a process with them where I have them starting to picture. First, they look at themselves and they say uh, something. And we work this out. I'm just giving you a little bit of an idea what it is now. But we say that at this moment in time, if you've done all your good work and you practice preparatory medicine, uh, with your medical guide and you were in the best health you can be in, then at this moment when you're uh, having this surgery, you're in the best health that you possibly will ever be in without it. So you honor that. And so you honor the fact that you've made the choice to have the surgery and you go ahead with that and saying, this is the right time and this is what I want to do and I am ready for it. And then you start looking at yourself. And again, you have to now allow your body to open itself up to other people that are going to not only just maybe give you a medication, but now you have someone who's going to be standing over you with a very sharp instrument that's going to just open you up somewhere, <laughs> you know, and reach in and start doing things inside of you where no one else gets to go. Mm -hmm. So you have to open yourself up to that and allow someone else to enter spiritually, mentally, and physically. Mm. And when you make that connection, it makes it better. Because if we see many times people um, that go under anesthesia, sometimes under the normal drugs, they're not getting deep enough. And we can tell that because a surgeon who's getting ready to go into someone's abdomen can feel if the abdominal muscles are still tight or when they relax, when the anesthesia takes over. They mm. can tell that. And sometimes people are so unrelaxed mm. for various reasons that the anesthesia takes a little longer or they have to go to stronger doses. And some of that may be, and this would be another study, you know, to see uh, if the spiritual subconscious part is preventing that. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to let people in. And then you start imagining the... Uh, the doctor that's going to be working and you say they're at the top of their game and the anesthesiologist top of their game, all of the attendants and nursing staff top of their game. It's going to be the best surgery ever. All of the medications going to work. And the second that they start working, <clears throat> I'm already looking toward healing. And the moment they close me up, I'm already in the process of healing. Mm -hmm. And, and that, so that mantra, something, some variation of that, is a, is a thing that I have them work in. And the last thing that I do as a great ritual, and everyone that I've done this with 
has just been so happy about it. And I think I may have mentioned this before somewhere, maybe in uh, one of the Yoga Hub uh, conferences, where just before you go out under anesthesia, and you could do this if you're not going under anesthesia, you could do this for any procedure, if it's even something where it's just local and something else. But basically, before you go out under anesthesia, the, the last thing you do is smile. Mm -hmm. And when you smile, it starts out with a face smile. But then you, through your concentration, make that smile expand down to your heart and then expand where your whole body goes into a smile. And that's the way you enter surgery, where your whole body is in a smile. And then I say to them, the very moment your consciousness returns, either in the emergent, either in the surgical suite where you're still on the table or back in recovery or somewhere else, that very moment that you come back into consciousness, you repeat that smile and you start with the smile of your face. Of course, you're going to be a little groggier this time and not totally into it for a moment, but you concentrate on that smile. That's how you're going to arise back into consciousness from the surgery that starts in your mouth, goes around your head and face, goes down to your heart and expands out. And even if that only lasts for a second because you go back to sleep due to the anesthesia, you've now surrounded your surgery in a ritualistic spiritual smile. And it just does so much for people. So I think that you know, from those aspects and spirituality that we've spoken about today, you know, it needs to be brought into healing from every point of view. Doctors need to bring a little more spirituality into their practice. Patients need to bring it to the doctor's practice and into their own practice. And in doing any kind of a treatment, a medication, even if you're putting on an antibiotic ointment for some reason, you have a little cut. Take a moment and just honor, look at the cut, clean it up, you know, honor the fact that you have a body that protected it and didn't make it worse. And then take this ointment, simple, you know, antibiotic ointment, honor it for a moment and, and allow it to do what it's going to do without hurting, without side effects. Uh, only it's going to have its pure, perfect purpose. Oh, I think those are some really, really wonderful tips, uh, Glenn. And I, I truly believe in that whole process of mantra as we're leading up to something. Uh, I did use it uh, when uh, I was about to give birth for months before. And it really, really, I feel, made such a difference, um, you know, to to the labor and the birthing section of, of you know, having a baby at an older age, etc., that everything was so calm no matter how many hours ticked by <laughs> everything stayed you know at a really lovely calm and i i do believe that that uh um when we when we continue to honor ourselves like that and allow for things to unfold it, it works on many many levels so it's lovely to hear you say that and share those wonderful techniques with all of us um, and I, I will definitely practice each and every one of them. Yeah, and, you know, we spend so much money and energy trying to uh, 
get things that will help us buying supplements and getting organic food and doing all of these other things. This is something that costs nothing but has a great benefit. Uh, we, we've talked about the lifestyle. I think lifestyle is incredibly important. But as I was trying to be more global about thinking what you're, you're, you might ask, what I thought about is anatomy. I know that's a primitive concept, a primitive term, but as I look at and evaluate and, and examine somebody, when I touch somebody or palpate somebody, what I really am thinking about is anatomy. I'm trying to visualize what's underneath the skin, what these body parts are. And, and it goes back actually to the first day of medical school in a way, because anatomy is so important for me as a rheumatologist and for many physicians. And what I would encourage people to do is, is know something about their anatomy. Know where, where a pain is or what body part. Anatomic texts are online. But, but for docs, it's really important to think about what this is or where it is. And, and we, we almost, I mean, with MRIs, we almost have 3D, but we don't get MRIs on everyone. So one of my health tips, I think, would be to be as conscious and aware of your own body, of your own anatomy as you possibly can be. It will help your doctor uh, identify where the pain is or what the next test might be. So I know it's rudimentary, but but things do come down to anatomy, where body parts are. Just as the ancient Greeks, as they were experimenting, looking at anatomy, not knowing where or how it worked together. We do know that now but again, anatomy is so very important to try to get the best out of healthcare. I assume also uh, the same as we talked about the pap smear. People that don't have insurance uh, can can go to some of these same places for the screening exams. Is that true? And it's, yes, and especially October. October's National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and that's the best time to get free mammograms because there are a lot available or reduced cost. So you can get breast uh, breast exams and mammograms for uh, much cheaper in October. Wow. You know that that was a great tip. I always ask uh, our guests if they have a health tip uh, based on their own experience and wisdom, and that seemed like a great tip. But I wonder if you have another tip for us for either the men or the women in this case. I think the most important thing for people is to is to go to a doctor that they feel comfortable speaking with. And I know a lot of times people say, oh, but I'm limited by my insurance. And the fact of the matter is, okay, so you have to go somebody you're on your plan, but that doesn't mean there's only one doctor on your plan, right? And so if you go to somebody and you just cannot develop a rapport with that person, find somebody else on the plan because it's your health and these things are going to be important to you later on down the road. So you need to have somebody that you can talk to or um, in particular for the el elderly, you need to have an advocate who can help that older person as well. Mm -hmm. um, my health tip is ask lots of questions. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it, again, it sounds really almost naive, but so mm -hmm. true. Um, if you don't understand what your doctor is saying, you cannot leave that office. Um, you need to understand exactly what's going on. You need to have all of your questions asked. And if your doctor doesn't want to answer your questions, 
you need to find a new doctor. It's that relationship, I think, is incredibly important. One of the pieces of work I did a while back was on um, uh, prescription drug labeling, right? Like just how that jar, that, that little vial gets labeled. Well, you can't imagine how many different ways people can interpret, you know, take one pill a day. Um, you know, do I take it at night? Do I take it in the morning? Do I take it with food, without food? You know, ask. You have to, you have to own, uh, your own health and ask questions. Um, and, you know, similarly, um, the doctor has to, has to listen in order for there to be an optimal healing relationship. So, uh, you know, if, if one of the key reasons to ask is to make sure that your questions are going to be answered, because if they're not, it really is time to move on to a new practitioner. And that could be, it doesn't have to be a doctor. It can be a yoga instructor or, you know, a nutritionist. If you're not feeling that you can ask questions and that it's a give and take relationship, it's time to move on. Hmm. That's a great health tip. And we've, we found uh, through our 20 other episodes that sometimes the uh the health tip the simpler it is the more sense it makes <laughs> but that's so life that, isn't it <laughs> yeah, that's very good trust your guts i think that <laughs> if someone you know calls an office to see if they want to find a good homeopath and they get the heebie-jeebies trust your heebie-jeebies if someone wants to try homeopathy and it doesn't seem like the right thing for them, let it go. If you have a gut feeling that acupuncture is your thing and you're going to do well with it, trust that. And I think people have much a much greater intuitive sense than they give themselves credit. And I think that people, if they trusted their guts, they could the the healing journey could be a much more enjoyable mm -hmm. journey. You don't have to go to who your sister thought was super duper. You don't have to stick to one modality, and you don't even have to stay with the same prof, you know professional your whole career. If you feel like your time has kind of played out, someone did a fabulous job for once in your life, but you're just not benefiting from their care. It's fine to move on, and it's also fine to come back. Hmm. So trust your guts. I think um, that's very important. Seems like uh, everything you say comes out as a healthcare tip. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm wondering if you have something that can go in its own special category just for Christina and I. We won't share it with anyone if you don't want us to. That's, that's fine. <laughs> It'll be just a little secret. But I'll tell you it on air right now. Um, I mean, there are several there are several tips and several things that I've personally found to be of value. Um, you know, for example, I have two things in mind. Um, one thing that I, I love, uh, it's called Abhyanga, and Abhyanga is self-massage. Um, Abhyanga is an Ayurvedic concept. Um, in Ayurveda, it's actually recommended to do this uh, self-massage, an oil massage. It's a full-body oil massage every day before you get in the shower. Um, and so you're basically, it's, it's really, it's, it's quite a beautiful uh, process. It really is kind of an act of self-love. Um, you know, you're anointing yourself with oils on a daily basis. And depending on your body type, you would use a specific kind of oil. Um, and so the, the best oil for all body types, irregardless, is sesame oil. 
So you buy a refined sesame oil. Uh, you basically are oiling up, not too heavily, but you're leaving a coat of oil on. Um, and then you're, you know, you're, you're leaving that on for about 10 minutes and then you shower. Um, and you don't rub it all off. You don't wash it all off. You leave a small coat of oil on the outside of your skin. Um, and it just stays with you during the course of a day. Um, and we find that uh, what what that is doing is actually it's lubricating all of your organs. Um, you know, if we find that people, they don't need to use lotion anymore once they start doing this. Um, and it really helps to promote OGIS. Um, and OGIS is another Ayurvedic kind of foreign concept um, that I would love to talk about at great length. But OGIS is um, that glow that people have. Um, and I, I call it the juiciness. And so my goal from an Ayurvedic perspective is always to promote juiciness in my patients. So the analogy being people start out as these plump grapes and during the course of their life, they slowly dry out and they turn into raisins. <laughs> and that's when you actually get into all these health problems. And so the goal of Ayurveda is to reverse that. It's, it's to increase the amount of ojas, the amount of juiciness that's in your body. And so one way of doing that is to do this daily self-massage. Um, and so sesame oil is a very way to, uh, easy way to go. You can use olive oil. You can use coconut oil. Um, I prefer coconut oil because I love the smell of it. Um, but there's so many health benefits for that. And I could go on and on and on and on about that. But uh, Abhyanga self-massage is one of my favorite things. And contrast hydrotherapy, so ending your showers on cold water. Um, it's an old um, German nat nature cure concept where you basically are doing this contrast. So you're doing hot followed by cold therapy. And what that's doing, it's actually stimulating your vis, meaning that healing power inside of you. Um, it boosts your immune system. It tones your muscles. Um, it increases circulation. So people that have cold hands and cold feet will actually exude warmth when they're when they get out of the shower. Um, it gives you that sense of vitality, um, and it's it's just a really good way to wake up in the day. And so end your showers on cold. And all you need to do is maybe thirty seconds of cold. Um, just let it touch your thyroid gland and then usually your lower back where your kidneys are. Um, it's a good way to really kind of just stimulate your internal chi or prana. Yeah. Oh, this is I don't know great. if I could do that. Uh, well, uh, well, because I shower in the evenings, I would, I would find it hard. I, in the mornings, uh, that's not a problem. I, I like that cold rush. Um, but at night, right before I go to bed, wow, uh, I, I wake up. I like completely. Whoa. But what's interesting, um, Nick, is what you said about uh, oiling the body down before the shower, because I actually have actually in our in our um, uh, shopping cart here at Yoga Hub, we have a uh, trifola oil and it is trifola in uh, infused into the sesame oil. And I usually end my day after my shower with the self-massage as opposed to before the shower. So if you're to do it before the shower and then you go into the shower, does that mean we don't use any kind of soaps or any other cleaner, like what people would consider soap, right? Like a body soap or, you know, or a glycerin soap or anything like that? 
Yeah, I mean, just use a you know an, a a basic, very easy soap. I use Bronner's. Um, again, the intention is not to take off all of the oil. It, you really mm -hmm. want to leave a small coat on, mm -hmm. but you can clean yourself just the same way. Um, the reason that you you would do it before you get into the shower um, is to allow the heat and the water to really push those oils deep into your body. Mm. Um, and so the thinking in Ayurvedic medicine is that it helps to loosen up the doshas, the vata, pitta, and kapha that you mm -hmm. have in your tissues. And so when you do that, it moves it into your intestinal tract. So uh, when you actually have a bowel movement, uh, you actually move those doshas yeah. out of your body. And it actually helps to detoxify. Hmm. And so part of that is you, you're loosening up those doshas that are lodged into your tissues. And so that's why it's important to make sure that you're driving those into your tissues. Hmm. A lot of doctors will say, oil up, then do some jumping jacks or do some yoga or something. So you actually create that heat so you can actually move those oils into your wow. body as well. Um, you know, and if it doesn't work for you to do before your shower, you can always just oil up um, after you get up out, out of the shower. Just be conscious that you will stain your towels or your, your clothes. And mm. so make sure that your body has fully absorbed those oils before you go and put clothes on. Mm -hmm. uh, but just, you know, it's going to do either way. It's going to give you benefit when you're oiling up on a day-to-day -day basis or every other day. Just oil up. Um, yeah. It really is quite therapeutic and you know as i mentioned before it's an act of self-love which um sounds kind of stupid but when you actually mm -hmm. start doing it, you start to understand the benefit of that it's very therapeutic and i think mm -hmm. that uh most americans lack what i call vitamin t which is touch and so i think that you know uh even self-touch can be very ther therapeutic unto itself i like that vitamin t i like that i go for the vitamin h which is the hug <laughs> saliva saliva is a precious fluid it contains amylase which breaks down carbohydrates too many people eat too fast and don't chew enough and saliva is critical when people say don't eat fast they say it like because it's impolite or whatever but there's a medical reason and as much saliva as you can generate, especially when eating complex carbohydrates like grain or pasta or rice, it will be broken down before it gets to your stomach if you're willing to chew and salivate. Saliva can be used to clean your teeth. It's an incredibly precious fluid. Um, these, here's the, here's the tip. If you don't have a toothbrush and you want to wash, and you want to clean your teeth, you use the tip of your tongue and take it and run it all the way from your molars to molar, from one side to the other, across the outside of your front teeth. Nine times, your tongue will get tired. Then do it on the inside of the front teeth, all the way from molar to molar, nine times. Then the outside of the lower teeth, then the inside of the lower teeth. Your tongue will be tired, and you will have a mouthful of saliva. You swish that saliva around and bathe your teeth into it, and then swallow it in three swallows. That's your Taoist saliva toothbrush. Wow. That also sounds like a, a yoga facial exercise. It does, doesn't it? It's exhausting to the tongue. We don't usually use it that way. Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> um, I'm with you on that. <laughs> you know, in my life, I've reached a point where all of my reality starts as a thought. 
then goes to vibration and from vibration to manifestation. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and very much as the se the secret, as a movie pointed out, was if I want, doesn't matter what I put after want, then the universe will give me wanting. If I need, doesn't matter what's after need, it'll give me the experience of needing. So I myself had to say, well, I don't want or need, I want to create. <laughs> or I am creating and I am manifesting. So I, I, I think people need to understand it's up to them to manifest and radiate how and have a sincere desire to be an example for somebody else. Um, we all uh, look look towards these healthy athletes and these enlightened minds because that's an inspiration for what we want to become or are evolving to become. And so for me, it's, it's have happy thoughts. That's uh, where health resides is in positivity. And let go of fear. <laughs> yeah, um, I have like an Aikido uh, technique that probably all your viewers might benefit from. Um, so basically, what it is is um, for your viewers to think of something that you know creates some kind of emotional overwhelm or stress, and rank it on a scale from one to ten. Ten is the most stressful, and one is the least stressful. So pick something that's stressful and rank it. So let's say um, you think of something and it and it stresses you. It's on an eight or something. Then, um, then what I'd like you would like like them to do is then to um, turn all their attention into their stomach. In in other words, imagine that their brain is in their stomach, literally, and they actually visualize, it. and then see what happens to that stressor. Um, that they, let's say, labeled as an eight, for, for instance, and keep doing that. And what they'll observe is that it'll actually start dropping uh, from, a, from an eight to a seven to a six to a five or even less. And, um, and then what they can do is then switch gears and then think of something that totally makes them full of joy and full of absolutely something they love to do and that they feel at a tenet. Just think of that. And then um, while they're thinking of that, then switch back all their attention back to their to their stomach where they're thinking from their stomach only and um, and think of something that that causes them that where they feel stressed about. And um, and then what they'll notice is that those wonderful, happy feelings they're feeling and then those stressful feelings um, will almost match the stressful feelings will drop down in number. and um, as they head to zero, and then those happy feelings will be at 10. So then they'll be actually able to function in any kind of stressful environment, even with anything that comes up. Mm. And when they physically test the person, let's say they're thinking of a stressful thought and they're on a level of an eight. If someone was to push them in the beginning when they're thinking of the stressful thought, they could literally knock them over. So, um, and when they turn their attention and imagine that their thoughts, that the word they're thinking is coming from their stomach, and they think of that same stressful situation. This, when they're again pushed from the center of their body, they will not be able, you, you cannot budge them at all. They will literally be like a tree. And um, this technique is known as keep one point in Aikido. And uh, literally, you can't, you literally, their center of gravity is restored. So this actually affects the person not only on a 
physiological, a psychological level, but on a physiological level where they actually are stronger and they, and even people viewing them will actually feel they actually take on another, a stronger persona. And uh, in, if so, so the person's easily intimidated, they won't be anymore. And the person that used to intimidate them won't feel the need to even do that. So it'll change the whole dynamic overall. So, um, so this is a very excellent technique. It is an excellent technique. I was going to say that someone gave us that exact health tip last week. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> is that right? Okay. But no one has ever given us that, that health tip. It was very good. What what did you call it in Aikido again? The one point? Uh, keep one point. Keep one point. That in itself is a great health tip. Mm-hmm. Keep one point. I like that very much. Thank you. And Rupa. Yes, well, a great health tip that actually changed our lives way back in the early 90s was, you know, before we were feeling exhausted and stressed and you know, at that time we were just getting out of school, so we weren't eating the healthiest either. And so what we started doing was drinking superfoods. And superfoods are something that any one of your viewers can get from their local health food stores. And that can be something that has spirulina, chlorella, blue-green algae, and it has other greens as well, usually these mixes. It's a powder. And in a blender, you just add some water. And then from our farmer's markets, we get organic unfiltered apple juice and we mix about a scoop or one or two tablespoons of the powder in there with some organic bananas and sprouted seeds we use sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds that are raw they're not salted or roasted and what you do is you take those seeds and you soak them in a bowl of water or a, or you can use a special sprouting plastic device if you like or just throw uh, put maybe two tablespoons of each sprouted I mean, the sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds in a bowl of water, soak it overnight, about 12 hours. 12 is the magic number for the sprouting to start. And the next morning, you just rinse those seeds and you add one or two tablespoons of those seeds to eight ounces of water, maybe anywhere from two to six ounces of ideally unfiltered organic apple juice, one or two tablespoons of this green powder that you can get from the health food store. And you can add any of the fruits you like. Sometimes we add blueberries. And you blend that up and drink that first thing in the morning. And we also drink it mid-afternoon. When you get that mid-afternoon slump, when you get a little bit tired again, we have another glass of that. And our energy levels are outstanding. And because it's liquid nutrition, it goes very easily from your digestive system right into your bloodstream, into your cells. Your cells lap it up. And you feel that boost of natural energy from great sources. Mm. And we drink that every day. Wow. That's a great tip. Now, I have, a, I have a question because when we originally introduced you, we said this was a family affair. And I know that your mother uh, works with you at the yes. center. I was there the other day, and she offered me a very wonderful green drink. Was that the drink that uh, I was the beneficiary of? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Her special recipe on that drink. <laughs> Mom's special recipe. Her mom's she makes it for us every morning. <laughs> yeah. And for our, for our clients as well. Well, you see, I'll be there. <laughs> We'd love to have you over. Oh, my. I like the, I like the fact that you gave a recipe because yes. I think that people will want to 
have to watch this show over and over again to get that recipe and make sure it's uh, pretty clear. You know, the, the way we treat diabetes is tremendously different than it was, you know, five years ago. We have all kinds of new compounds. Before, it was mainly trying to get insulin in. Now there's, you know, insulin sensitizers and uh, GLP-1 and DPP-4 and all these other compounds that are really helping out. Uh, again, I think the key is education, knowing your body, knowing what works for you, um, going to the physician every three months, every six months is not going to fix you. You know, you need to talk to them, ask all the questions that you have, and then you have to figure out how it's going to work with you and your family. I think the be the best health tip from me is to get education about what's going on in your particular case, um, learning as much as you can, and then trying to incorporate that into your life. It's not easy, but otherwise it's like, you know, sticking your head in the sand and, and hoping things will go away. And that's probably not the best therapy. Probably the most important thing about addiction is to think about addiction as a chronic illness. I think that um, even when I first got into it, you didn't really have to worry about it. You know, you kind of were taking care of it. And um, you now think of addiction really more as like diabetes or hypertension, something you're going to have to take care of for the rest of your life. Or if you don't, it can come back and bite you. And um, I think that maybe one of the first things just to uh, emphasize that. Um, the second thing is that, again, structure, you know, the, the, the more um, severe the addiction, the more structure uh, you're going to be, you're going to need. And there was a very famous study done by a guy named George Valen called The Natural History of Alcoholism, which um, I think really uh, was um, a landmark work in this field. And he followed people for 50 years who had addictions. One of the things he said is that the more problems the person is willing to go through uh, to drink, um, uh, the more treatment they're going to need uh, to stop drinking. He gave an example. He said, if, if someone stops drinking and you said, what happened? And they said, well, you know, I, I fell down the stairs. And I said, you know, I'm not going to drink anymore. Um, and you say, well, how much treatment did they need? Um, didn't need any. They they really didn't go to A. They didn't uh, get hospitalized. For them, that one event was enough to say, eh, why would they risk falling down the stairs for this stuff? But if you had somebody who'd fallen down the stairs at multiple ER admissions, multiple accidents, gone through divorce, uh, lost their job, and still drinking, it tells you how important that drug is to them, how powerful it is to you know, despite all these problems, that uh, they were still going to continue to drink. It tells you how much a hold it had on them. And those are the people who needed intensive AA, intensive hospitalization, structure, long-term programs. So um, the second thing is we, we kind of look at the number of problems a person has before they really are thinking about stopping. It tells you how much structure they're going to need uh, to recover. Our, my uh, health tips really center on uh, our 
lifestyle and medical uh, approaches to uh, keeping the brain healthy. And I would say um, if, um, if if I'm going to distill some of that down into uh, 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 maybe one health tip, uh, I think what really keeps the brain really active is um, maintaining a person's curiosity. If you're curious about the world and other people, your brain will be active. If someone doesn't have the time, ability, or desire to either meditate or exercise, I'd like to give them a simple thing to do. It is to do proper diaphragmatic breathing very slowly while you stand on one leg. And then periodically switch legs. That's it. Is that like, uh, that sounds very much like the tree pose in yoga. Well, you can, if you're not good at that or if your balance isn't good, you can even have your hand to grab something if you think you're going to fall. Standing on one leg is incredible. The proprioceptor cells in the muscles have to constantly be readjusting. You don't stand still solid like a rock. You're always wiggly and moving, and it's communicating with your brain to keep you steady in space. It's doing an enormous amount of things. Hmm. Hmm. The other leg, you know, you can lift up like a crane or leave near the, I don't care what you do with the other foot, but just standing on one leg while you breathe very slowly in your abdomen. Wow. That's nice and simple. You can have a lot of people do that. You know, you read in all the self-help magazines how it's important to have a regular sleep-wake schedule. People interpret that meaning they should go to sleep at the same time and wake up at the same time. Go to sleep when you're sleep, uh, when you're sleepy. And hopefully give yourself enough opportunity to get sleepy. But you should wake up at the same time by the clock because you have to reset your clock every morning. So going to sleep by the clock can just be a frustration because you're, you may not be sleepy because for whatever reason. And going, getting in bed and not falling asleep is just frustrating and uh, creates anxiety and frustration. Whereas, but you should get up at the same time. And, and, and if you had a short night because of – you were up late for whatever reason, my recommendation is either make it up by going to bed earlier the next night when you're and you crash in bed or take a short nap during the day, but not don't sleep in. Oh, that's interesting. That's a great tip because I was that was on my mind. Like, how what am I going to ask you? Well, look, can, can you see Glenn on the screen? He's um, he's decided to take a nap on us. <laughs> Well, it's uh, uh, it's probably pretty mundane, but I, I I try to live by the premise that uh, it's far far easier to prevent problems than to cure them. Once <laughs> we're at the point where we're using balloons and stents, uh, heart artery surgery, coronary bypass surgery, uh, we're basically just trying to manage an illness that will be relentlessly progressive. So uh, I would hope that the audience takes to heart the message that the time to make the changes in your life are when you're in your 20s, your 30s, and 40s, time when you may feel immortal. But I guarantee mm-hmm. your right life, your heart will pay the price. I don't know that I have a single health tip, but I, I, I believe in diet um, and uh, exercise and rest um, as much as anything. I, I myself try to exercise at least five times a week. Um, I try to get, uh, I believe primarily in sustained aerobic exercise. I moderate my diet. Um, I'm, I, I, I personally, myself, I avoid uh, um, red meat as much as I can. Um, um, I'm more of a 
uh, fish and vegetable um, eater myself, and uh, and I try to get my rest. Um, I think if you do those things uh, and avoid smoking, and if you've exercised smoke your, most of your life, I think you've got a good chance of living a long life. Um, you know, short of um, accidental death and uh, and uh, unforeseen cancers. For me, sun therapy. I got to get outside. I have to enjoy outside. Too much inside for me does not help me out very much. So if I can be outside after a long day inside to spend just five minutes outside, that's therapy for me. Hmm. And that's a pretty simple recipe. And sure, there's, it doesn't help you for the, the uh, cosmic exposures, uh, but it sure is good for the brain. Hmm. And if a brain's feeling good, I think the rest of the body does better. I like uh, that. It's not a very specific therapy. Uh, you're probably thinking it was going to be a concoction of... You know, no, you know, we leave it open to each person, <laughs> and each person has come up with something very unique for them. And, uh, you know, the, the process is uh, just figuring it out from that point of view. And, uh, you know, I like the sun therapy also. For me, sometimes just to, if I'm not feeling too great, just to go and lie in the sun for a few minutes. It's almost a comfort food that uh, I just feel the warmth coming over my body. So I, I agree with you on that. That's great. I don't know about the dermatologists. So when we interview <laughs> one of them, they may have a whole different category. They say, no, I like to hang out in a CAT scanner and get away from the sun. <laughs> well, it's the vitamin D, isn't it, that we also supposedly absorb. So... No, I love the sun. I think I think uh, doesn't matter what weather we have, whether it be rain or shine. I think we we do need at least that five to fifteen minutes out there, just breathing the air instead of the air inside our homes and uh, our buildings. I agree. Well, I think you know if I judge by most of the people I see and the biggest concern that people have, the best advice I can give you is one that I don't take, and I spend my weeks telling people to stay out of the sun and my weekends in the sun. So <laughs> I would say, and mostly it's the sun you get as a kid, really, that makes more difference than the sun you get as an adult. So I would tell parents to protect their kids from the sun. I would tell teenagers uh, not to do like I did and lay out with a reflector and uh, protect their skin because they'll appreciate that down the line. Yeah, the main thing I'd say is, you know, for orthopedic problems, hand and for, but for any orthopedic problem, you know, be respectful of the, of, you know, of your body. Uh, that if your work activities, you know, just be aware of where you can really do some damage and trying to be looking out for those things. You know, the, the don't take the guard off table saws. Don't, you know, um, <laughs> don't, don't. You know, if you're left-handed, don't reverse your hands and use them in a way where you're crossed over and putting yourself at more risk. Um, and then that's, I, in the side, Glenn, and I don't mean to, but, you know, we actually did a study a few years ago that I was one of the authors of that left-handed people have more hand injuries proportionally than they should. Mm. Not as, and, and it's because they're trying to use equipment in ways that's not really meant to be used. So, you know, being constantly aware of your surroundings and where kind of the risk of real injury is. I think it's just super important, um, you know, if you've got children being aware of, you know, where they're at real risk. I mean, you know, everybody has to be able to live their life. We don't want to be paranoid, 
But, you know, there are some things out there to really be aware of. And, you know, see in the kitchen, people just doing dumb things with knives that, you know, just think for 20 seconds if you've got something in your hand that can really do damage before you use it. And, I mean, that would be my main tip is that, you know, an ounce of prevention really is worth a pound of cure. That's a great, great tip. Uh, it's a fingertip. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. We uh, always ask our healers for a health tip uh, from their point of view, but I think it would be very interesting today for our viewers uh, from the point of view of someone who has been healed and also who is a healer. I think that it's really about being open uh, to absolutely everything, not not saying no, um, I'm not going to do that, or I heard that would do your own research and knowledge is power. And I I know what I have. I know what it does in my body. I know the drugs that I've taken, and I know what those drugs have done. And the uh, the important thing is to be open and to accept uh, all of those um, those things. Keep a smile on your face uh, through it all. Um, you know, laughter is a great healer. Uh, I had a, a friend of mine who came into, uh, you'll love this, Glenn, I think I might have told you, he came into my room when I was in reverse isolation um, in his gown and mask and everything with nose and glasses on and a cigar. And he said, this is in one of the, those uh, homeopathic moments, is it? <laughs> you know, and it, um, you know, made me laugh. You know, I love that. And um, so I think that just just being open and gaining the knowledge and accepting it all and um, being thankful to uh, every everything that comes your way that can be a healing uh, thing uh, is important important i have a i had a woman brought me crystals uh i you know when i was in the hospital do you mind if i leave these with you you know no no bring them um i had people of different religious persuasions asking me can i pray for you well duh <laughs> you know I, I want the prayers coming in every variety they are i don't have the answers i want the prayers and um to listening really carefully to every doctor, you know, this is, this is what we can do. This is, or we can't do mm -hmm. and accepting it and, and moving on from there. Yeah, oh, that's very good. So I think in my mind, uh, the question is cancer, a word or a sentence. Uh, it can be either depending on your way of looking at it and the choices that uh, one makes. And I'm wondering, with your vast experience and your knowledge coming from so many different areas, if you have something that you can offer us today. Oui, oui. Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> I think that's already you been given. It. I think Christina offered that once. You spell it backwards and divide by pi. <laughs> no, I have a, I'll tell you what, what comes to mind is this morning before I left, um, there was an image stuck on a computer as I was closing it, and it just stared back at me. And it, it was an image of a plastic flower that looked real next to, a, as you said earlier, a roll of dental floss. And it looked like it was in two frying pans. And I thought, what is that? You know, why did my daughter take a picture of dental floss? Uh, 
plastic flowers in what looks like a frying pan. I said, where is that, Oli? And she said, oh, that's from your car. And I have couplers that uh, has a little dental floss because what can I say? Sometimes things just that come in don't get all the way down or need to come out. <laughs> so I carried in the car and I, I looked at the two, the dental floss and that little rose or whatever it was. And I said, oh, floss of flower. <laughs> <laughs> so I realized that the reason it was staring back at me was it wanted me to interact with it. And I think that, you know, it, you know, we're doing the same thing here. We're all philosophy flowers, and we're looking at each other. We're kind of having an inanimate experience, but we're embodying, you know, some really good feelings <laughs> underneath it all. So as a health tip, I don't know how you can do it. You know, what part of your mind you have to go to or what part of your mind you have to get out of. But the symbolic representation of things that kind of become meaningful in your life and create a story, at least for me, is a good, uh, it's a good way to move on to the next moment. Sorry, that's it's kind of a health tip, but then again, I guess you got to do do something to create that. Just hopefully, it doesn't hurt when you hit your head that hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the frying pan's for. <laughs> that's what the frying pan was for. <laughs> it's coming to the end of our show, uh, and I would like to ask you again. You gave us a great tip last time. Do you have another health tip for us? Well, this one is. Um, I thought about this, and I would say uh, when. Uh, when people think about being tired, they say they're tired, and this is often the, what they complain to their doctor. I think they need to just determine, and or their doctor needs to determine by questions: um, Is your tiredness sleepiness? Because there's tiredness of, you know, being just having poor exercise tolerance. You know, I'm tired. I can't climb up a hill. I can't climb up the stairs. Mm. And there's tiredness of when you're being depressed and um, unmotivated and lack of energy, but you, it's not sleepiness because if you try to lay down to nap, you can't nap. And so that's a different type of fatigue. But sleepiness is a specific symptom of uh, you're sleepy and given the opportunity, you could nap. And if you nap, short nap, you actually may feel a little bit better. So there's, So I think you need to ask yourself when you say you're tired, you need to ask yourself and you need to be asked, are you sleepy? And there's a question, there's a series of questions uh, embodied in what's called the Epworth Sleepiness Scale. And think about the situations which will bring out your sleepiness. Like, uh, I just have it here with me. I'm just uh, sitting and reading, watching TV. If you're inactive in a meeting or a theater, would you? what's the likelihood you may nod off? If you're the passenger in a car, for a long drive, would you nod off? If you lay down to take a nap, will you fall asleep? Uh, would you? Are you so sleepy that you found yourself falling asleep while talking to somebody? And I did that uh, when I was uh, sleep deprived as a critical care doctor. I, in my patients, uh, um, if they, if I asked them a question and they didn't answer too quickly, I found myself nodding off. Um, you know, nodding for lunch, even if you haven't had a drink, or uh, would you? Can you? Will you nod off at a stoplight? You know, or, or when traffic's really bad, stop and go traffic. Those are the situations where you're in a passive, unstimulated situation, and you will nod off. If you have those symptoms, uh, and we can quantitate it more formally in a scale, this Epworth sleepiness scale. If you, if that's, if you were nod off in those situations, 
you are sleepy and you have a sleep disorder by definition. So, so even if your doctor doesn't think you have a sleep disorder, if you, if, the, if your sleep, <laughs> if your tiredness is sleepiness, you need to see a sleep doctor. Well, I think basically to, to first of all, explore and find out what you love the most, what feeds you the most. And whatever that is, whether it's singing or dancing or hiking or being with friends, to do more of that. The clock is ticking. And so we, we need to feed ourselves and to really, really embrace that. And also kindness. Kindness is so easy and it changes people's mm. brain chemistry. It changes your physiology. And when you, when you act kind to somebody else, that gives them a gift, but doesn't it feel good when somebody just does a simple, kind act without any agenda in return? And I think the biggest thing for me is, and my really truest, deepest prayer is thank you. And just to be mindful of every day to say thank you for something, whether it's just getting up and you're here or for the, even the simplest things. When I looked at Dr. Emoto's work, when he did the water therapy experience with a said all this negative things to the water and froze it and took pictures. And then they said things like, I love you. And the, and then literally the crystals formed these shapes and the most beautiful one of all was thank you. And so I'm saying thank you looks good on everybody. We should, uh, mention all of the people that have been on our show for this year, 40 shows. Yes. Yeah. Not this bad. is the 40th. Not too bad. We started this year and we've continued. So 40 shows on Magical Medical Tour. Not too bad. Not too bad. That's excellent. And so I would love to take this opportunity for myself to thank you, Christina and uh, Segovia, but for all of the great work that you have done throughout this year to bring uh, education, wisdom, and health on so many levels to so many people and knowing that it's not just in this time, but all of the work that you're doing uh, can go on virtually for uh, a very long time. So I would like to have gratitude myself for you and Yoga Hub and everyone involved in that. Uh, I'm thankful to all the people that have been on our show and uh, given their wisdom and expertise. And I thank all of my teachers for their wisdom and expertise. And, and I thank my healers to keep me on my journey. But I'm looking forward to uh, many more of these uh, magical medical tours as we uh, explore various quadrants of the healthcare galaxy looking for optimal health. And in, in that moment, I also would like to wish everyone in this holiday season, I wish you all blessings of optimal health. <sighs> Well, thank you so much, Dr. Glenn Woolman, our medical guide. And of course, we here at YHTV would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us and supporting us on this new platform of education and information. And it's still considered very new, by the way. Um, we're grateful for your continuous support. And, you know, please, please let us know if how we can support you better, if there's a topic that you would like us to focus on. You know, please contact us. Don't be shy. Just uh, let us know. Um, everything's kept in confidence, and we will definitely try to find the experts in those areas to come and speak with us. We are very excited to announce that you can access the Magical Medical Tour through iTunes. Uh, when you are in iTunes, just look for YHTV 
or Magical Medical Tour. And you will find the whole series already in, um, in that area that you can download to your wonderful iPod or whatever device that you uh, have and listen to it at any time. And uh, The Trinity of Life should be launching soon on iTunes as well and Anatara's Flowing into Awareness. And again, we invite you every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time for the Magical Medical Tour. And Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Followed every other week with our new show, Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. Let me remind you that you can find and contact Dr. Glenn Woolman at myyogahub.com forward slash G Woolman. And on Twitter, at Glenn Woolman, and of course, through his own site, glennwoolman.com. And be sure when you're there to learn about his metaphor square breath. And that will definitely help you ride through any stressful situation and uh, into our wonderful 2013. Until we meet again, namaste. What song would be your uh, exit song for today's show? What song would be my exit? Song? <laughs> yeah. Let's Closing see. the show. What would you? What would be your uh, your finale? Well, my finale would be. I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. Yeah. <laughs> How about yeah. Uh, a poem for us? <laughs> a poem for you. <clears throat> well, um, I can think of a, well, here's a poem that I wrote. Um, it, it, it's, um, this poem, uh, it has a relationship to, um, drought, lack of water and global warming. And I don't even like to say global warming. I like to say climate change. And, uh, it's called the barren tree. And I wrote this one. Oh, few years ago. It's been published in a couple of literary magazines. Um, it goes like this. To comprehend the barren tree is enigmatic and possibly to all who sojourned on paths unbent, the parched leaves crackled admonishment. Stand back and contemplate my bow. Gaze and wonder, then avow that in solid ground I was planted for those who took my shade for granted. Linger now as another day dims, grotesque in shadows that frame my lips. Actor, do you have a poem you would like to share with us, maybe about your illness? Funny you should ask that. Seasoned traveler, I've been to hell and back a few times. Not the biblical place, not the medieval image place, not even the irony of the Bosch metaphor place, although I love the garden of earthly delights. My hell is under the skin, having a swimmingly good time in my blood. But I know how to get back. I memorized my way back. I also put breadcrumbs out. Take no chances. I followed them carefully because I'm a seasoned traveler. Mm. 
Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Ah. You know, I've watched most of the shows that you guys have done, um, especially my family members. <laughs> and I think that um, I just hope that that this uh, helps, that it reaches out to uh, people um, from a little different point of view than the healer, um, the healee. <laughs> and um, it's good. This was good. I'm glad we did this. <laughs>